I have uh, some really good friends in life. I've already introduced you to Dennis Burrell, one of my closest friends. And, uh, but my best friend is getting ready to preach to you today, and that's my brother. And, uh, and uh, Joe is probably the most generous, caring person I've ever met in my life. Um, I remember... You know, those early days when we started traveling and I, I was starting to play the keyboard and I was playing for him and his wife. And, and I know that money was tight, but I know Joe went out and, and bought a keyboard for me. He, I, I think he made payments on that thing. Joe went out and made payments on a keyboard for me. I was 16 years old, I think, 15 or 16, right in there. And it's been like that our whole lives. He's a person who, you know, you, know, you need friends in life who cry when things are going bad for you, and they celebrate when things are going good for you. And it's not always about them, you know? And Joe's that kind of person. He's that kind of person that whenever I have any type of success, it makes him extremely happy. There's no jealousy in his heart. And I feel the same way toward him. And He's, he's been serving the homeless population of Atlanta for uh, over 25 years. And before that, New Orleans, Tampa... Clearwater, Florida. He's given his life on the streets. He's Pastor Joe all over Atlanta. And I couldn't be happier to introduce him to you. Joe, come and have your way. That's my son, Isaiah. He used to be, I used to could pick him up. <laughs> well, it's good to be here. And uh, if you're seeing me for, uh, for the first time, I just want to let you know that uh, this church has stood with us for more than 30 years. In the early 90s, we started a church in a living room in Tampa, Florida. We grew out of that. And uh, Tommy Colonnan uh, was about to graduate from, from uh, Southeastern University. And a businessman said uh, he would make a good youth pastor. And if you'll, if you'll take him, I'll pay his salary. So he got this huge salary of $500 a month. Uh, but you guys supported that church called Crossover. If you ever want to get inspired, look up Crossover Church in Tampa, Florida. I preached down there last year. Isaiah and I went down three Sunday morning services. They're running over 2,000 down there now. And it started in my living room, but some of you had a part in that. And, and eternity is going to tell what, what's really going to happen with that. And Philip is my best friend. He intimidates me. Because he's so much smarter than I am. He tells me books he's reading, I buy them, I can't understand them. Oh. And then both of us married way up. <laughs> um, Sherry is one of the most amazing people that I've ever known. 
Philip said she could kiss the ground in the winter and flowers would grow. <laughs> oh, no, that was Johnny Paycheck, I think, that said that. But. <laughs> I know a lot about country music, more than I should probably. And then Philip's talent, you know, I was trying to play the piano. He really learned how to play the piano. I was trying to, so I still don't play the piano. Then I was trying to learn guitar. He passed me up. He plays guitar better than I do. And then Jason come along and plays better than both of us. Let's see. I don't have any power on this guitar yet. Oh, now I do. That's a little too much in the monitor at least. And what a great ministry. And I, I tell people everywhere I go what's happening in this community. And uh, I can't wait to see the next phase of what's going to happen. One more time I come to the end Just when I thought I had it all figured out Just when I knew what I was talking about I saw you the Lord looking through me And one more time I thought I'd found it again then only to find out I was just pleasing men Just when I thought I'd given you All of my heart You took it apart again So it's time to start building again My foundation's stable but my roof just fell in And some windows were broken From all of this wind And it's time It's time to start building again And one more time I come to that place I was standing there smiling With egg on my face I was feeling so foolish, Lord, for losing my place. And then came you, pulling me through. Well, it's the same old place, but it's not like before. You've torn down some walls, but you've added some doors. I've still got all those keys that you gave me before on Calvary Lord you gave them to me so it's time to start building again my foundation's stable but my roof just fell in and some windows were broken from all of this wind and it's Time to start building, fixing and mending, hammering and building again.
Oh, I'm sad to say I can relate to that. And just suppose God searched through heaven. He couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed to buy eternal life for you and me. Had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary and had it not been for the old rugged cross oh had it not been for a man called Jesus then forever my soul would be lost I'm so glad he was willing to drink that bitter cup Although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. And I'm so glad he didn't call heaven's angels. From my hands, pull these nails that torment me. Had it not been for a place Call Mount Calvary And had it not been For the old rugged cross Oh, had it not been For a man called Jesus Then forever My soul would be lost Had it not been for a man called Jesus Then forever my soul would be lost Wow, too glad for Jesus <laughs> Praise the Lord And this worship team today I think y'all could go on tour Wow I'm, I'll tell you, every church don't have that. I know because I'm in a lot of churches. And uh, so we, thank you guys for that worship and leading and, and the spirit of it. And, well, thank you, sir. <laughs> I, I want to talk about uh, really the subject of what, what does it mean to be victorious? And every week I'm dealing with folks that um, somewhere along the line they stopped and didn't didn't go any further and and uh, and we have Isaiah always says that Safe House should be a reality TV show because of the interesting people that keep coming through and from ever I mean the other day I had a person come in and. Uh, was uh, wanting to find a shelter. And I said, well, I, I need to ask you a question. How do you identify 
How many know what I mean? I said, you identify as a female or a male? I, just, I need to know. And this person said, well, I'm trans. I said, okay. I have a place in Atlanta that will accept trans people. So I got him on the phone, and this person picked up the phone, and this is what I heard. Where am I from? I'm from heaven. Jesus sent me down. In fact, now I'm Jesus undercover on the earth. And that's just one that came by a few weeks ago. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures of what we do. I'm not a long-winded preacher, so just relax. That's Fikre, my friend. She's from Ethiopia and uh, is scheduled now to go back to Ethiopia very soon. I don't know. You know, Ethiopia doesn't hit the front pages of our, of our newspapers here, but uh, there's a war going on there. Um, Christians are being killed. Churches are being burned. And I asked her the other day, I said, are you sure you want to go? She said, yeah, God's told me to go. So we're going to help send her over there. Let me see what I got. This is Nicole. When I met Nicole, she was in the middle of the street with no clothes on. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic, and she was just out of her head. And uh, so maybe three months later, this young lady came into my office, and I, I'm talking to her, and all of a sudden I realized it was Nicole. And I said, Nicole, what happened to you? And now she's like a stable. She volunteers at Safe House. Uh, she wears clothes now all the time. And uh, she's, she's actually right now, she's reading a devotion that I gave to her. This sweet lady, I did her and her husband's wedding many years ago. But on Mother's Day, about 10 years ago, her daughter didn't show up for her Mother's Day dinner. So she went over to the house. She had to push it a little bit hard to get in. And when she got in there, her grandchildren and her daughter had all been murdered, decapitated. And uh, I jumped in my truck. I drove straight to Florida as fast as I could get there. And I met them at the, actually at the funeral home. And I walked in, and I realized walking in, I had nothing to say. Nothing. And I just walked over and put my arms around her and her husband. And by the way, her daughter was dedicated in our church as a baby. And now about 10 years ago, she was savagely murdered. And what this lady didn't know, or notice Barbara, that the murderer was hiding in the closet when she came in. And it's just a miracle she didn't, he didn't come out and kill them too. Um, okay. Let's see what we got. I had... Oh, you can skip that. I play, I play on the parking lot every, every Thursday night sometimes. And oh, that's kind of interesting. I'm at Angola Prison there. Some of you may remember Jim Rents, Jim and Esther Rents that ministered here a few years ago. Jim became the uh, chaplain at Angola Prison, which is one of the worst prisons in the nation. 90% um, of every inmate that comes there dies there. And... Uh, Louisiana and parole doesn't work like some of the states. But I'm actually playing in the chapel, and that young man playing the piano is the nephew, great nephew, of a, 
of a guy you may have never heard of named Albert E. Brumley. But you've heard the song, I'll Fly Away? He was the writer and many other songs. That's his nephew playing the piano. We were playing in the chapel there at Angola uh, a few years ago. This sweet lady was one of my volunteers. She lived in a, she lived in a parking garage. She slept in a parking garage. And uh, I had a conversation with her one day. And I found out she had been an over-the-road truck driver. I said, why aren't you driving a truck? She said, well, I got a $400 fine I have to pay. I said, I'm going to find that money for you. I'm going to get you back on the road. That night, somebody murdered her in that parking garage, and I never got to see her again. She was so funny. She said, I'm going to get me a shirt that says M-W-E. I said, what does that stand for? She said, the worst ministry ever. I said, I'll wear that shirt. <laughs> Miss D. I think I got a couple more. Philip, I don't, I don't think you remember this lady. But <laughs> I picked up Philip at the airport one time. And we went straight out to, the, to a place where we were doing ministry on Fulton Industrial Boulevard. And uh, this lady... Uh, I've known her for, had known her by that time, maybe a couple of years, and she was a, a prostitute out there. And uh, in fact, on one of her birthdays, we took a cake out there and surprised her with a birthday party and sang to her. But Pastor Phil and I was out there, and I don't remember hearing her coming, but she come running up, jumped on my back, put both her legs and her arms around me, and I'm watching Philip's eyes get bigger and bigger. <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> Uh, I love this lady. The last I heard from her, she had went into a ministry for rehab. And so, you know, that's our people. That's our people. Oh, I got to tell you about Ricky. Some of you, the last time I was here, I put a picture up. Ricky's a cutter. I mean, cuts himself. I bandaged up his arm with gauze while blood was dripping off his elbow. And, uh, the last time I was here, I showed you this picture because he'd come by to tell me he hadn't cut himself in five months. This picture here, he came by a few weeks ago. It's been a year and a half since he cut himself. And I got a video, but it, it, it's really too long and all to, to show this morning. But I, I said, Ricky, what happened? He said, because I'd asked him one time, I said, why do you cut yourself? He said, because I deserve it. I said, no, you don't deserve it. Uh, and, but you know what happened? He said, I found out that Jesus loves me just like I am. <laughs> yeah, he's off the streets now. A year and a half, hasn't cut himself. And if I could show you, he's got scars all over his arms where he's just cut himself. But Ricky's not cutting himself anymore. I think that'll be the end of the pictures. Um, so I want to talk about what it means to be victorious. And that's where we're pushing people every day. And I, uh, every week I have somebody that I'm talking to and I say to them, don't quit. Keep working. Keep working. If you're trying to get your ID, if you're trying to get your birth certificate, please be patient and let's, let's make it happen. What does it mean to be victorious? Uh, win the Super Bowl. We all know something about that up here. Uh, win an election. It's kind of sad. Uh, um, usually it's defined as uh, to conquer or overcome. 1 Timothy 1.18 says, fight the good fight. 
How many of you know there's a good fight? There's a fight worth fighting. This charge I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that you may wage the good warfare. <laughs> How many know there's a warfare going on? Big warfare going on. And uh, we, have, we have an enemy, um, and we have to be ready. We've got to get ourselves in shape. We've got to stay prayed up and, and uh, all that that means of staying ready. Like old preacher said, you need to be able to preach, pray, or die at any moment. Um, there's this thing in the military called basic training. I think, I think that might be a good title for a, for a church ministry sometime, to, to get people sent out and be ready. Basic training. Uh, my, our dad was a proud member of the United States Army in World War II. From Austin, Texas, he wrote, wrote a, they called it a troop train, but what it was was a boxcar. They put all these soldiers in boxcars and took them all the way to Miami, Florida for, for, their, uh, for their basic training. He spent time in North Africa. I always tell my, my Muslim friends that come by, I say, my dad could do the Islamic call to prayer as good as your imam. Because right there was all, all Muslims where they were. Kind of a hero of mine in some ways. He dug a foxhole with a coffee cup once. I said, how'd you do that? He said, man, when you hear those planes coming in, you'll be surprised what you can do. Um, you know, I know y'all know a lot about football here, and you should. But you can't party all night the night before the Super Bowl and win the next day. This guy, Tom Brady, how many Super Bowls has he won? Seven? Six? Seven? Six of them were here, though. Guess what? There's going to be a day when a Super Bowl ring doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. Trophies that we get on earth. Notoriety. Acclaim. There's going to be a moment in time where that doesn't mean anything at all. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy, fight the good fight. There's a good fight. and It doesn't happen on a football field. Doesn't happen on a basketball court. Doesn't happen in a baseball stadium. The good fight. Um, you know, I had just watched a uh, documentary on climbing Mount Everest. I don't know why, but I'm fascinated with people that climb mountains. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't understand the mentality. Uh, and I thought, man, that's got to be a great point of victory. If 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 we could if we could just climb Mount. Everest and get to the top. What a great victory that would be. And then I did a little minor research. And you know what I found out? It changed my mind. Because this is what I found out. More people die coming down the mountain than going up. So if you die on the way down, were you victorious? No. <laughs> uh, you see, there's no real victory until, as far as Mount Everest, there's no real victory until the climb is complete. And it's not complete until you go up and you turn around and you make your way all back down to base camp. There's a little mountain in, uh, in Georgia. <laughs> it's called Stone Mountain. 
Some of you that have been down with us know I've climbed Stone Mountain over a hundred times, especially when I was working with mission teams coming in. But getting to the top of, of this, little, this little rock that we have in, in Georgia, just getting to the top is not the victory. You're not victorious until you get back to the bottom. And so I want to talk about just a minute Success is such a difficult thing to handle sometimes. And I ran across this illustration from the year 2000 in January. Billy Graham was invited uh, to speak at a luncheon. And, and initially he hesitated and, and he said, you know, I have Parkinson's disease. I'm not getting around very good. And the, the leader said, well, we don't want you to preach a sermon. Just come and let us honor you. And so, Dr. Graham came to the podium, and he said this. He said, I am reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist. One time, Einstein was on a train. He was traveling from, on to, from Princeton on to wherever he was going, and, and when the conductor came by and said, I need your ticket, he couldn't find his ticket. So he said, that's okay, Dr. Einstein, we know who you are. And so he went on. Well, he looked back, and now Einstein is down on his knees. He's digging up under the seat. He's pulling out his pockets. And the conductor went by and said, look, I know who you are. We know who you are. You don't have to have a ticket because I'm sure that you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. So he left. Now he looks back. Einstein like he's got his shirt open. His pockets are turned out, and he's still digging in the seat. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> Having said that, Billy Graham continued. He said, see this suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit because my children and my grandchildren are telling me I've gotten a little tacky in my old age. So I went out and bought a new suit for this luncheon and one more occasion. You know what that occasion is? This is the suit that I'll be buried in. But when you're here, I'm dead. I don't want you to remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, but I know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. He made his way to heaven on February the 21st, 2018. And they placed him in a casket, by the way, built at Angola Prison. Ruth and him were both buried in these ornate caskets they built in that prison. And, uh, but he had that suit on. But he said, I know where I'm going. In the last few years... Several ministers, some very well-known ministers that have uh, felt like they couldn't live any longer and have taken their lives. And not from little bitty churches. Church in our area, this man had been to Safe House a number of times, had a good church going. He was about ready to open up another campus, and he took his own life. A well-known pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, 
You might even sing some of the songs that he wrote, some of the courses, because he was known. But a couple of years ago, he couldn't see outside of whatever situation he was feeling, and he took his own life. Success, even spiritual success, is difficult. Um, but here's my question for you and me. Did I serve the purpose of God in my life? Did I do what I was called to do? Paul said, everyone, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. I love this, but we, an imperishable crown. Therefore I run, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Therefore, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. And what would Paul say at the end of his life? I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. I, I want to say that one day. I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror and go, you have done what God has called you to do. Do what you came here for. I remember an old preacher in Texas, this young man went to him and said, said Sir, how do I know if I'm called to preach? The old man looked at him and said, If you can do anything else, do it. <laughs> we came from a family of preachers. Our old granddad, which I got, never got to meet, although I've got a picture of me at 18 and a picture of him at 18, we look like twins. He was, old, he was this old-fashioned Baptist preacher, and he would literally jump on a freight train. And he would ride on that freight chain until God told him to get off. He would get off, go rent a church, rent a building, some kind of start a church. When the church started going, he'd get, back on that, he'd get back on that train and go back home or go wherever he was going to go. And out of that ministry came four Pentecostal preachers, a Bible teacher, our dad was a great Bible teacher. I grew up in church. I was mentored by a man that preached here a few years ago, C.W. Goforth. Do you remember him? What a powerful man of God. Man, he, he, they called me and him Elijah and Elisha for a while because everywhere he was, I was there. I followed him everywhere. I told him, well, actually, I moved into his house. <laughs> he, already, he had five kids, so I figured one more wouldn't make that much difference. <laughs> Um, I went out to see him. He was in a, in a memory clinic, memory hospital. He had dementia. And his daughter had told me, you know, sometimes dad knows who we are and sometimes he don't. And so the lady is actually walking me down to the cafeteria. And she said, well, has it been a while since that you've seen him? I said, yeah, it's been a while, but I'm prepared to see him. And so I sat down and he looked up and he goes, Joe McCutcheon, my oldest son. I thought I was ready for the ministry, you know, because I like to preach, I like to study, I like to pray, I like to worship. I didn't think about sitting with the family of a young lady that I told you about was dedicating her church and murdered. Nothing I had learned prepared me for that. I wasn't prepared to walk into a room with a mama to identify her son that had been killed in a botched drug deal. 
I wasn't prepared for Judy and I staying all day with a lady who was about to give birth and already knew the child, the baby within her was dead. And she had to go through that. I'll tell you something. You don't know what we're going, you don't know what preachers are going through sometime. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying preachers are on any level that, any higher level than anybody else. But I'll tell you sometimes when you stand up here and you got all kinds of pressure and when the anointing comes, <laughs> nothing can compare to that. I remember asking Carl Lambert, a name you may have never heard, pastored First Assembly of God in Louisville, Texas for 30 years. He retired at age 69 and moved to a little community up north of him. He stayed retired for a year, started another church, <laughs> bought property, built a building. And at the age of 82, he's been in his office all day and he left his office, walked home or drove his car home about a mile away. And when he walked in the door, he had a heart attack and went on to be with the Lord. And I know him real well because I was married to his daughter for almost 47 years. One day I asked him, Brother Lambert, who's your favorite preacher? He said, I'll tell you, Joe, when the anointing of the Holy Ghost comes on me, I'd about soon hear myself as anybody. <laughs> Listen, every preacher would tell you that if he would be honest. Because one day I, I'm, I'm shaking hands with people and this lady's going, man, that was a great sermon. I, I said, well, you know, it was just the Lord. She said, no, if it was the Lord, it would have been better. Uh, it was you. <laughs> you think about it in the, in the entertainment world. Isaiah and I, we saw that movie Elvis. And we got, well, we want to go to Graceland. So just about a year ago this time, we got on Megabus, <laughs> went to Graceland. I grew up with Elvis. and I tell Isaiah this, he don't believe it, but way before Michael Jackson, Elvis was the king. And uh, but what a waste standing there at his, you know, his graveside, and there he's buried, and his parents are buried there, and then just a short time after that, I guess like the end of the year, Lisa Marie passed away. Whitney Houston, what a waste. Michael Jackson, I feel sad whenever I think about him. But there's some great heroes of the faith chronicled in the Bible who had great promise but never fulfilled what God had them here for. That's the big question I'm asking myself and you. Am I doing what God called me to do? Am, am, am I accomplishing what he's called me to accomplish? Think about Solomon. According to the Bible, there was a specific destiny for Solomon, the son of David. God chose Solomon to succeed David as the king of Israel and promised him wisdom and wealth and a long life if he, if he would do one thing, stay faithful to me. He's famously known for his wisdom. Read Proverbs, read the book of Ecclesiastes. He built the first temple in Jerusalem, became the center of Jewish, of Jewish worship. However, after all these accomplishments, Solomon turned away from God and turned toward idols and he said, on one of his last writings, he said, all is vanity. All is vanity. He never did what God called him to do.
He didn't accomplish. Besides being the great man of wisdom, he never accomplished what God called him to do. And what about Samson? Samson, I won't read all these scriptures, but I think you know this. The angel of, of the Lord came and spoke to his mom and said, Look, you're going to, bear, you're going to have a son. This son is going to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Samson is born. And what's the first thing he did? He went out and took a wife from the Philistines. His parents said, couldn't you have got a wife from our own people? No. The thing that drove Samson all of his life was fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Merit taking women. Oh, he, you know, he had, he had some little accomplishments. One writer said he didn't do what God called him. He annoyed the Philistines instead of delivering them. So he failed to do what God called him to do. At the end of his life, man, I had, when I got to reading this over and over, I had to change the way I was thinking about Samson. Because what a great victory that we've preached all these years. He killed more of this death than all of his life. I remember a sermon that Philip preached when he was about 18 years old, probably. And he made this statement. It's sad when you could do more by dying than by living. Well, what's the last thing? What's the last gasp of Samson as he's being called out to entertain the, the party that was going to happen all the time, I guess. <clears throat> then Samson called to the Lord saying, Oh, Lord, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me. I pray just this once, and look at this. Oh God, that I might with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines, not because I didn't do what I was supposed to do, not because I'm repenting for all of my sins and asking you to forgive me. He said, his last prayer avenged me for my eyes. He was selfish all the way to the end, and he never accomplished what God had called him to do. Never did. Never did. Let me die of the Philistines, but wow. It's my eyes. God avenged me for my eyes. You know, walking with God is not about getting the biggest offering, but I'd like to have the biggest offering. Um, it's not about preaching the biggest sermon. It's not about writing the greatest book or building the largest church. One thing in my closing remarks I say to you, the one thing about walking with God, there's one word that defines it. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Men, men like Wayne Pitts, probably never heard of him. The old country preacher from West Texas. He was in St. Petersburg, Florida, and he was riding along, and he saw this kid on a Saturday working on a bicycle in his yard. And he pulled over and said, hey, son, how, how about coming to church? I don't know what the whole conversation was, but it ended up with the young man saying, I can't come tomorrow, but I'll come next week. That was a man by the name of Bill Wilson that's turned the world upside down in Brooklyn with thousands this morning. There are thousands of people in his church, all because a man named Wayne Pitts that you've never heard of stopped and talked to a kid fixing a bicycle. Bobby Chance, my friend, Woke up in a daze from the night before. He's reaching in his pocket. I don't know what he was looking for, but what he found is not what he was looking for. He found a gospel tract that somebody had handed to him, and he don't know who it was. 
and he read that track, and he gave his heart to Christ. He was one of the ones, if you saw the movie Jesus Revolution, he was one of the people that was baptized in the Pacific Ocean way back there. And he's been in, uh, in street ministry, inner city ministry, all these years. I sent him a text, and I said, look, I'm going to talk about you in my sermon on Sunday. <laughs> and uh, just been faithful. Who, who, who gave that track to him? Eternity will tell. Been like old brother Freetag. 50, about 53 years ago, I was 20 years old, and I was preaching at his church in a little town. Well, it's not really a town. It's a little church called the Four Points Assembly of God. There's no town. Just these four roads come together, and somebody put a church there. And I was at his house. Me and his son took a walk down a trail out behind his house. We come around a corner, and I saw something at this tree. I knew who it, what it was, but I couldn't stop myself from going, what is that? He said, that's where Dad comes to pray. And he had built an altar by that church, by that tree. And I went over, and I knelt down on that altar. 20-year-old kid, that, that, that piece of wood was worn smooth. And I could just imagine that old preacher that you've never heard of, say to his wife, Mom, I'll be back in a little bit, and go walking out into the woods to that altar. Someday, I will stand before God and give account, not of my accomplishments, but was I faithful to what God called me to do. And by the way, out of that, the last I heard, of course, it's been a long time ago now, I don't know if the church is still there, but over seven Pentecostal preachers had come out of that ministry. That's where uh, uh, our cousin in Oklahoma was there and his family and just amazing. There's an old song we used to sing called, I Heard an Old, Old Story about a Savior that came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save you ought to look that up, walk around the house singing that song. Mm. I'm not going to read the, all the lyrics because it's too long, but Jesus on the cross, what did he say? He said, it's finished. In his last words, he was communicating that I have done what God called me to do. Paid in full. John 17, 14, the New Living Translation said, I, Jesus said, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. New King James says, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you have given me to do. That's my prayer for me, and that's my prayer for you today, that you will be able to stand at the end of your life and say, God, I've done what you call me to do. I accomplished what you call me to accomplish. It's the message that I preach every day in our ministry in Atlanta to young people that are coming through there and older folks that are coming through there. And I said, look, this is the most important thing. Getting off the streets is not the most important thing. Getting the job you want is not the most important thing. Getting, all, getting the money you think you ought to get or want to get, it's not the most important thing. 
the most important thing is to dis discover what your purpose is and to accomplish it in your life. This is a thing I, 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 I preach to people every day. Do what God calls you for. Be faithful. Be faithful. I want to pray for you today. I don't know what God's put on your heart. I don't know what God is telling you to do. It's not for me to say. But I want to tell you this. <laughs> if, you will, if you will walk in what God's called you to do, that will be the success of your life. Being a millionaire is not, not, doesn't mean you're successful. But knowing Jesus and, and doing what he's called you to do is what's important. Let me pray for you right now. And if you need to pray for yourself or make a commitment to God while we're praying, you, you, you take care of that with him, all right? God, thank you. God, thank you. First of all, I thank you that you saved us. Wow. Changed my life all those years ago. And I just pray for the folks sitting here today. There's a thousand things going on. There's burdens that, that we don't even know about. But God help us to not only determine what you want us to do, but to accomplish what you told us to do. And I pray for my friends right now. God, build a fire in every heart and every life so that we'll be able to stand and with Paul one day and say, I finished my course. I kept the faith. I've done what you want me to do. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for that word. Amen. Ephesians 5.10 says, Find out what pleases the Lord. The book of Acts, it says of David, he served the purpose of God in his generation. The world that we live in puts us on a emotionally a four-year election cycle. So we're constantly in a state of tension over that next election. The world around us puts us on all kinds of expectations. We mentioned money, mentioned career, all those things. Now we know they all matter. They all matter, but the question is, to what degree do they matter? How much do they matter? Jesus defined success by whether he did the will of God during his life and with his life. That's how, that's what this message is about. I want you to do that today. Could we just uh, bow for prayer right now again? And I want to rededicate my life. I want to dedicate that we're, we're going to be talking about in September. We're going to be talking about the vision in o October. I'm sorry. So September, uh, October, we're going to talk about the vision that God has for the church. And I want you to think about what is the corporate purpose? I believe God wants to integrate our individual purpose with the corporate purpose of the body of Christ. So I want you to pray, and I want you to be really thinking about that. What is, what is my purpose? Why does God have me at Bethany Community Church? What is, our, what is God calling us to do as a church? We want to revisit that and renew our vision. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I just pray that you will remind me of my purpose in life, God, because sometimes I get so caught up in worrying about the world, worrying about culture, stressed about culture, what it's doing, and certainly I want to play my part to do anything I could to make the world a more flourishing place as Joe is doing in Atlanta and others are doing in their communities. All our people at c &E, we're doing that to make the world a better place, to end suffering wherever we can. But God, let us leave the final results in your hands and realize that our calling and our fulfillment is simply, you've not put a burden on us too heavy for us to carry. You've put a burden we can handle. The burden I can handle is to do what you tell me to do. I want to do that with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, um, I want to just ask you to prayerfully consider uh, uh, if you could support this ministry financially. Uh, we're not going to pass the plate again, but you know there are four ways to give at Bethany Community Church, and you know what they are. So uh, you can just uh, let it be known, put in the memo or wherever you are able to just go ahead. And if it's a check, make it out to Bethany Community Church, but then put... Just put Joe McCutcheon or Safe House, S-A-F-E-H-O-U-S-E, -E, in the memo, the check. So God bless you. Let's stand. Thank you for being here today. Let's go and enjoy one another and have a great day in the Lord. Amen.